Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report, and I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We start with a landmark moment in the long, hard fight against COVID. According to new guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, people who are fully vaccinated can stop wearing masks in most places, including most indoor settings. Here's President Biden talking about the new federal guidance at the White House yesterday. I think it's a great milestone, a great day. It's been made possible by the extraordinary success we've had in vaccinating so many Americans so quickly. But, and we underscore the word but, the CDC's new mask guidance is just that, guidance. And here in California, the state and its counties will have the final word for when and where masks come off. Right now, California's mask rules are still in place, but Governor Newsom has indicated changes are coming to the state's mask mandate, probably by June 15th, the target date to reopen the state. Dr. John Swartzberg with UC Berkeley School of Public Health says the new federal recommendations could put Newsom in an uncomfortable position. Well, I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on Governor Newsom. Uh, Frankly, I think his approach is very reasonable, and that is to say outdoors, it's very safe without a mask. Indoors, a little more tentative, and we'll see how things are in the middle of June. I like that policy better than, frankly, the CDC statement. And we'll note that the CDC's new mask guidelines still call for unvaccinated or partially vaccinated people to keep wearing their masks in most indoor and outdoor settings. Let's turn to criminal justice. In a petition, 41 of California's 58 district attorneys are challenging State Department of Correction rules that could allow for the early release of tens of thousands of inmates in state prisons. The inmates would be released early after earning enough good conduct credits. The DAs say the early release rules were adopted without adequate public input and could threaten public safety. The reform-minded district attorneys of Los Angeles and San Francisco declined to join the petition. Let's turn to water. Drought conditions have intensified in parts of California, according to the U.S. Drought Monitor report released yesterday. And earlier this week, Governor Newsom expanded a drought emergency declaration to 41 of California's 58 counties. We wanted some perspective on what kind of drought challenges the Golden State faces, so we've reached out to Cora Kammeyer, senior researcher at the Oakland-based Pacific Institute. It's a nonprofit that studies water policy. Cora, what's your read on where we are right now? To answer that question, I have kind of two pieces. One, I think, is to make sure that we're paying close attention to 
the uh, communities and systems that have been the historical, you know, quote unquote, losers in drought times in California. And two of the most you know, important topics there are small rural communities, uh, largely in California's Central Valley, um, that are on small community water systems or domestic wells that we saw uh, fail or run dry in the last big drought in California. So that's a community to really uh, watch out for and make sure that we are addressing the needs of those small communities better than we did in the last round. Um, and then the other, you know, really vulnerable sector when it comes to water in California is ecosystems. And, you know, it's ironic because, of course, all of our water comes from ecosystems, but aquatic ecosystems are often kind of the bottom of the priority list when it comes to drought in California. Um, and that has really negative impacts, not only for, you know, having healthy ecosystems, which is so important to California, but also to the uh, regulatory risks that uh, water users face when we see aquatic species, particularly endangered species, uh, populations start to decline because they don't have sufficient water quality and quantity. And what about drought conditions this year and something we often hear about, which is the rural-urban split here in California? So I think here we can maybe draw on some of the lessons from the last drought. You do often in dry times in California start to see water transfers uh, from more rural or uh, farm communities to cities. Um, but we also see, and we demonstrated in the last drought, that cities and urban areas in California really have the capacity to conserve when they're asked to. Um, when it comes to farmland, I think an important dimension of this to consider is that often in droughts in agricultural contexts, uh, water users use groundwater as kind of the, you know, the piggy bank during dry times. And with the passage of the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act in 2014, um, there's now more demands and requirements for more sustainable use of that groundwater. And so for agriculture, that means, you know, potentially likely needing to take some farmland out of production, but also needing to get more innovative with how they're, um, you know, using water more efficiently, um, selecting, you know, crops in a way that reflects water uh, availability. Um, so I think that's some of what we're going to see on the agricultural side. Are we more prepared now in 2021 to, uh, to confront droughts than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? I mean, in a sense, have we drought hardened the state in fundamental ways where, yes, still very much a big problem. I get that. But we're able to navigate it more effectively than we did in the past. Yes, I think absolutely. I think we have learned a lot and there has been so much great progress made to figure out, you know, better, smarter water management for California communities. That being said, I think a lot of that progress is being matched with increasing risks that we're seeing because of climate change. So as we're solving the problem, the problem is getting harder. Um, and so I think we still have a long way to go. Cora, thank you so much. I really appreciate your, your time. And um, now we haven't gotten to other issues, but one hopes we can in future conversations. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd love to talk again. The University of California system might increase tuition for incoming students starting next year. In a meeting of UC Regents yesterday, UC President Michael Drake said an increase would stabilize funding and ensure academic excellence as UC campuses see big enrollment growth. 
Drake advocates a $642 increase in tuition, which right now is about $12,500 a year. The tuition hike proposal, though, faced criticism from UC students and some regents who questioned whether a tuition hike is needed given new pandemic recovery funds coming to the UC system. Let's turn to energy. Cal ISO, the agency that manages California's electrical network, has stepped up energy supply and storage capacity ahead of this summer in an effort to prevent rolling blackouts. Severin Borenstein is director of the Energy Institute at UC Berkeley. He says rolling blackouts are unlikely, but could still happen, especially if there are intense heat waves. We could end up in a situation where, once again, the ISO has to say that the entire grid is short, and so we need to have uh, each of the utilities uh, institute rolling blackout. One of the changes for this summer is the addition of batteries, which will allow the system operator to store electricity generated by solar power systems during the day and then use it during times of peak demand. Let's turn to immigration. Customs and Border Protection says the number of unaccompanied children crossing the border decreased in April. In San Diego, KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler reports on the new numbers and how the city's convention center is playing a big role in the sheltering and processing of these young migrants. Since late March, the San Diego Convention Center has sheltered 2,629 unaccompanied children in total, according to numbers obtained by KPBS. 989 children have been reunited with family members or sponsors, with those numbers increasing in recent days as the process has been streamlined by the federal government. The average stay is 30 days. Emergency intake sites like the Convention Center have allowed the federal government to quickly move children out of ill-equipped Border Patrol facilities. Currently, only a few hundred children are in those facilities, and none for more than 72 hours. Now, the job becomes getting these children out of facilities like the Convention Center and other temporary spaces, before they revert back to their original uses. In San Diego, that will be in mid-July meaning that case managers there have eight weeks to reunite children with families or sponsors before they lose the space to shelter them, something they'll accomplish if current trends hold. For The California Report, I'm Max Rivlin-Nadler in San Diego. Some immigrant rights advocates have questioned whether the Biden administration is moving fast enough when it comes to family reunification. But Kathleen Karen with the migrant advocacy group Justice in Motion tells the California Report it's not as easy to do as it may seem. It's a massive, massive effort that the Justice in Motion piece to it is that we are the ones that look for the hardest to find parents. Karen says her group has been working with organizations on the ground in Mexico and Central America to help look for parents in some of these cases. And while she's optimistic that the Biden administration will work more quickly to reunify these families, Karen says they need to have access to permanent immigration legal status. Because if every family is on their own to navigate the immigration system in the United States, many might end up not actually prevailing and they're all during that entire time they're under the specter of re-separation until they feel secure and safe it's going to be really hard to move forward with the with the healing process karen says it will also be important to focus on access to mental health services for these families
And now to a preview of what's happening on our sister show, the California Reports Weekly Magazine. This week, KQED's Chloe Veltman explores how singers across California got creative during the pandemic. This is karaoke fan Elise Whitney. She remembers the last time she went out karaokeing before COVID-19 shut down all the bars. We sang almost all of Celine's catalog. We changed the words to uh, Enrique Iglesias' escape to say, you can run, you can hide, but you can't escape COVID. And we didn't realize it was going to be such a big deal or and how impactful that night would have been as a last hurrah. Whitney was living in New York at the time. When she moved to L.A. last September for work, she missed her singing buddies back east. They talked about doing virtual karaoke. But we thought it was weird with the feedback on Zoom and that kind of stuff, the, the delays, it wouldn't have worked. Since Whitney couldn't explore the karaoke scene in her new city, L.A., during the pandemic, her mom treated her to some shiny new gear for her birthday. It's a big gold karaoke machine that sits under my TV. And in recent months, she's been putting that big gold karaoke machine to good use. Tell me why I never want to hear you say I want it that way. Here's Whitney karaokeing in her L.A. apartment with her neighbours. They live in the same fourplex. Soon after she arrived, they all podded up and have spent many nights since then belting out songs over at Whitney's place. It's too late. But But she says singing at home isn't the same. That's what I'm looking forward to when I can go back into a karaoke room and celebrate and remember that even though this year was really hard, there's that light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's a disco light. This month, Whitney was finally able to visit an L.A. karaoke bar for the first time, Max Karaoke in Little Tokyo. The smiley, bespectacled 30-year-old wore her sparkly jumpsuit, did high kicks on the dance floor and sang her signature song, Mr. Brightside by The Killers. For The California Report, I'm Chloe Veltman. You can hear Chloe Veltman's documentary, The Year of Singing Dangerously, on this week's California Report magazine. And that's the California Report for Friday, May 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast. And I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hi there. I'm Randa Dirfatah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.